I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Hello, everybody, and it's welcome to 2021. Carrie Benedette here from Thriving Matters Studio, and we're going to kick off 2021 with a huge bang. So none other than um, one of Australia's award-winning directors, writers and script writers. John Katroin is in the house, in the studio, should I say, this evening. So we're coming to you a little bit later than uh, our, our spot of 7.30. doesn't matter because John's put his wee one to bed and um, it's all well. And so we've gone down south. We're into Victoria and uh, John, I know you're very welcome, and I know you've got some great stories to tell us tonight. How are you going? I'm from lockdown Melbourne, which is nice to say. I know. Isn't that great? Um, so 2020 was a very big year for, for many people, and especially in Melbourne, we had a double lockdown. And what happened for us um, in Thrive Studio uh, last year in our thriving conversations that we had with many, many educators was that we talked about the aspect of isolation, the aspect of how we still educate and how we lead in new circumstances. And it's really no different for you in the arts world. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight because you as a director, are an educator. That's my firm belief. And so we're opening up the conversation for this year to talk about all these roles of educators. And um, I always ask a question first, though. I ask uh, um, one of the little questions around what is it that actually um, gives you some joy or takes your breath away um, when you contribute to the world? So, John, I'm going to put you right on the spot. Off you go. Uh, one of the things that gives me great joy is uh, watching audiences and being amongst audiences. Um, it can be really easy to lose sight of what I in what I do to focus on critics or to focus on uh, tickets or your colleagues or the reviewers. And, and actually, one of the things that feels like church to me is being in uh, you know an audience of people who I don't know, who don't know me. Um, they're not my friends. They're not trying to pretend they have to like the show. And and really feeling them synchronize and um and move as one uh, or move differently you know depending on what the, the work is um that gives me immense immense joy and i think uh, lately i'm lucky enough to have a, a, a child a young child and um my family gives me a ton of joy and so it's been an interesting process to go from maybe having a passion you know a, a passion for something for an art form and then also as that shifts, you kind of go, okay, that's interesting. I like theatre. It's nice. I like films. But there's something I do those now uh, for my family, or, you know, and that's been a really interesting shift that's happened over, certainly over the last year or two. Look, thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I've been watching a lot of, so you know, the social media comments about, oh, thank heavens, we can go and get some culture. Mm. We can go to the theatre again or, or, no, it's been shut down again or there's been this or that happening. And um, it's it's an interesting concept of, of who our audience is. So no matter if you are a teacher, as in trained to be a teacher of curriculum for, for our schools, or whether you are training adults, or artisans, um, their craft, like you do, as, as in directing for live theatre, uh, plays, drama, um, there's still an audience involved in this, isn't there? So I really like the way that you uh, you just brought us, brought us the, the whole importance of an audience and how, as an individual, we often think it's all about our job or our role, but in actual fact... We flip it because it's about the audience response. That's what we're really looking for. Yeah. 
directing and teaching <laughs> is a little, there's such an overlap between what what a director might do and what a teacher might do. Um, and I and I think it's it's about balancing your ego in that position. You know, what what do you need? Who are you trying to be or or impress or whatever? And, and that's always a really interesting crossover when I. Uh, I do sometimes teach teachers about theatre making. Um, you know, one of the things that in my head to remember is that you are performing the idea of a director as much as, as the actors are performing. But um, there's a you that's a performance you, there's a you that's a teacher in the classroom that might not necessarily be you personally. And, and how do you um, separate those people when you need to and how do you bring them closer when you need to? And that's a lifetime's work, I think. <laughs> well, that's... That's quite fascinating because where I've just gone when I was listening to you then is we can have lots of theatres in our own personality Mm. or we can show up as the different characters for different parts of a role and for different audiences, no matter whether we work for a business or in an organisation or for ourselves. Mm. And more and more the literature and the research is saying to us that the skills that we will need for the future are around authenticity, about generosity, about relational aspects or, you know, what a lot of us would call the emotionally intelligent competencies that that we're all learning about and have become quite proficient in being able to ramble off, you know, self-awareness, awareness of others. So for anyone that's in in the field that you're in, Getting to know the character and putting yourself into the character to play it is really about audience, yes, but also about an awareness of of the emotional side of things, of mm. the, um, the intricacies and the depths of a lot of major emotions like grief, yeah. exhilaration, happiness, um, you know, all those type of things. And I'm probably not explaining it as well as you can, but that's where... <laughs> I had just gone. So yeah. I'm I'm struck just as you're talking. There's a, a fantastic quote, which is that uh, theatre is a gym for empathy. You know, it's it's where we go to work out our muscles. We go to experience huge loss and grief and love and triumph, and, and so that we can process them in an in an environment and, and go away or learn some lessons or have some catharsis. Or um, and I love that idea um, because I'm not a regular gym goer. Um, but I like to think I'm very muscular, empathetically um, in in my you know in my interior life. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think it's twofold because you're trying to understand uh, what makes the people in, in your story tick, the characters on the page, and you, but you're also trying to make connections and and, and understand the people in your cast in your in your crew and we make family we make them very intensely and for very short periods of time you know we meet for six weeks and make a play for 10 weeks and then we disappear um and so a lot of my job is how do you you do that in a short time how do you do it with all the practical considerations but how do you do it in a genuine way um how, how do you make people how do you get people to trust you and build trust so that you can do work that might be difficult or challenging. Um, and different directors do it in, in really different ways. Well, just like uh, any any leader, I suppose, in any occupation or any role, developing the trust of the people that you're working alongside is critical. So, And I like the fact that you just talked about family. So community is is uh, is spot on there. Yeah. And you would there would be a grief in leaving that community for the next role or for the next job or for the um so it's uh it's quite intense isn't it yeah we talk about you know it's a real thing where everyone feels that slump the week after the show closes and um and often for the director and and i imagine it's similar for other leadership positions you know is that there's also a point where you uh you know it's like releasing an animal back into the wild You, you you have to let go of the project and the process and um trust that you've built that you know the, the whole point of your job is to make yourself obsolete you know I, I need to build a show that i can then give over to the stage managers and the cast because i'm not in every night and nor should i be um so i also have a little process of grieving or uh, oh. dislocation as as the show opens because it's like oh 
and everyone goes from looking at you like a little baby bird to kind of being like, well, we'll see you at the other end. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll just go sit by myself in the foyer and, <laughs> and try not to feel sad. <laughs> and that really, that's one of the most amazing things about being a leader because we can, you, we don't have to be the grand poobah and be up front and centre or presidento all the time. Uh, we we actually lead from the middle. We lead from yeah, the back. Yeah. Um, and we hope, for me, I like the word host. We host a lot of the preparation, a lot of the environment or the ecosystem for the, for success. Um, and we, all, we also host who's there. So we've got our cast and our crew. But we can. We also go. Mm, I wonder who I'll invite back next time. Maybe not them. Or oh, that there was a really interesting tangent or um, exploration that we went on, and I didn't expect that. So our leadership has to allow autonomy, yeah, and, yeah. and people to be self-directed as well. So I think so, and I think you know you can. I think again, it comes down to that question of like, what's ego? You know, what's driving? your response to things um you know a lot of the time the director you there's a pressure to know all the answers to look erudite and to look competent and to look on you know absolutely every possible sort of eventuality and the older i got you know as, as a young director i didn't do this and i learned i learned this and it was really beautiful to be able to say i don't know or i don't know yet um it might not be a revelation to anyone else but it was a revelation to me to be able to say um, not so I don't care or I'm not going to find out, but I yeah. just like, um, there's a difference. Let's work it out together. Or, you know, let's. What do you think? You know, so that those questions um, get you out of feeling that um, pressure to talk or you know have to know everything at every point. Um, and I think so. I think I don't know can be really powerful to say, um, <laughs> as long as you don't do it too often. I think. <laughs> well, now, I know you're not going to say I don't know because my I'm going to say to you, has there been a significant person, an event, um, an experience, perhaps that's really altered the way you now look at your work? And being being a director and a leader and a teacher, an educator, mm. uh, as someone who's creative uh, as well. So it's quite a robust uh, role that you have. Is there something there that you're happy to share with us? Yeah, I, I mean, a hundred people come to mind. I think because, and I think that starts with teachers. I had um, two really extraordinary drama teachers in high school. Um, very different, Paul Kidson and, and Sam Kosky. Um, but it was interesting with theatre, I think with creative arts, it's, it's, off, it's, very, uh, it's very rare that people tell you you can do it as a career. So I was often encouraged to maybe do law or maybe do journalism or, um, and, and I remember really clearly going to see an, uh, a director called Declan Donnellan, who's a really um, significant mm. British director. I went and saw him, I was doing a media degree, but I was also doing student drama at night and you know, that was my real love. And I just saw him talk and the way he talked and, the fact that he made his passion and a passion that I shared into a living um, was a rocket for me at a time in my and I got to meet him years later uh, oh. at the STC uh, just after I moved up from London and um, and got to sort of hang out with him for a few weeks and I told him at one stage I said I saw you talk like you know ten years ago um, and it kept me on the path. Um, there, and my, my life is peppered, I mean, everyone's is as well, I think, um, peppered by people who um, have said yes to you or said no to you, um, mm. also go away with love. Or, or, um, so I, uh, the first place I really found a home in London was at the Finbury Theatre. And, um, Neil McPherson is the artistic director there and I got to be a resident director for a while. And at the end of it, um, he said, good, now I've got off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said come back when you've done some more work. But you know, that this this gentle and loving but 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 sort of cheeky nod that said, look, you, you can't hang out here all the time. This is this is one spot. This is a certain you know, there's a certain scale of this theater. Go out into the world. Um, you'll always have a home here, but don't stay here. You know, go and go and experience venues and other places. And um, I, I I love that advice. I, I often say it to my assistant directors as we finish up. Um, teaching, <laughs> yeah, to kind of pass, yeah, with a massive smile so they don't get uh, too sad. 
Yeah, that's, that's similar, though, isn't it, to uh, being in a family in a community where um, people will walk with you for a certain point to, to a certain point, and then they it's it's about giving you the wings to mm. to then go further. Um, and that's that's a beautiful. That's a, what a great memory. Yeah, I and I met a, I made a bunch of connections there that kind of still. Uh, live in my life, um, be that you know, friends or, or, or yeah. peers and collaborators. And, um, yeah, I, I really I really loved that that moment. And, and I think you're right about, you know, families and communities because, you know, it isn't, I think there's a tendency, certainly in theatre, to view the director as a kind of, um, it's particularly masculine kind of Western idea that the, there's a single male with a beard who leads from the front. And, and you know, we, we are seeing how, we reach the, the the limits of the usefulness of those ideas of what leadership is, um, thankfully. Um, and so I always enjoy the fact that I I learn heaps from. I, I'm always learning, like directing, teaching, any of these processes. Uh, they have to work with your learning experience because otherwise, why would you do any sort yeah. of collaborative art form? Like yeah. theater yeah. is hard to make. Why why do something that needs forty five other people? It's weird and really strange and. Um, don't write a novel, but we all gather and do this strange thing that needs other people. Um, I can't direct without other people, which is a really strange thing as an artist. I can't make my art without an audience, without other other people. And so that's a really interesting pact to kind of make with the world. You have to engage. You have to share. You have to connect. Um, and it can feel really isolating sometimes when you don't work. Or you, you've got, yes. Last year was devastating for uh, so many people. Yeah. And so who are you in the context of not being able to do your job when it's been who you are for so long? And that was a really interesting, um, not interesting, it was awful to go through. Um, but, but we weren't alone. There was a lot of us grappling with those questions. Mm. Um, who am I outside of a job title or a, an activity or, you know, a name tag? Do I get my kudos from the work that I do, or for who 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 I am as a person? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the, you know, what we use, what we talk about in the thriving conversations is that, you know, thri thriving for all of us it does matter, but it's not easy. It's not that where it's always joyful or happy or everything's going swimmingly that you've got no problems or issues or challenges. It's really about how we. Navigate, navigate, and all those, you know, the troughs and the 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 Alps, whatever it is, the curves, the ditches, the dips. How how we actually navigate all of that, and um, are able to still feel a sense of self when things aren't going as we had planned, when there's massive change afoot. And one of my questions was, well, how did you manage to keep as fairly sane as you could be last year because it was very, very difficult and uh, very sad, especially when you're looking at um, how others in the community would have received financial assistance. Um, there's there's a whole lot of things at play here that actually play with, with our thinking and it's very easy to fall into the negative emotions that are contagious and that becomes the story that we only listen to and that's what we listen to. So how, how did you manage to thrive, at least with some sanity? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I, I, I took this uh, view for quite a lot of last year's lockdown that was almost just day-to-day -day. Um, because, you know, I imagine it's the same for a lot of other people, but we often live in our heads, you know, two or three shows ahead, um, and without those things to sort of anchor you or dream about. Um, so a lot of the things I did were just you know, we're going to walk today or we're going to have a conversation with someone. I, I started leaving, I think I was telling you, I started a, a friend of, a dear friend of mine in London and I started leaving voice memo letters to each other. Um, and they were beautiful because they weren't a text message or an email. They could be listened to whenever or they could be repeated. I, I would often listen to him on my walk and record an answer on the way back. But sometimes it might be a week or two between um, responses. And so little things like that that were kind of connecting and grounding got us got me through um i had a a real moment i was sitting on a bed somewhere in the deep darkness of second lockdown and um just had a, a cry 
and my son was sitting next to me and he patted me and we do breathing exercises so he started like daddy it's okay in and out in and out you'll be okay bless him of course i just cried more because i thought oh my son shouldn't be comforting me but i'm also so proud and you know it was such a beautiful moment and you know and, and we were really honest we talked about what we missed and he talked about missing yeah. his friends and um you know trying to explain to a four-year-old all the arbitrary rules and um and so that that short-term thinking actually in a way stopped me from completely spiraling down the what if my industry doesn't return what if yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know because we were the first to shut down and um, we still won't recover for some it won't ever look like what it looked like before yeah. the pandemic so there, was, there was some mourning as well there was kind of mourning um certain ideas about what you expected for yourself and um a lot of anger as well you know um i was really lucky to form a group with some colleagues and we got some funding to just essentially uh, talk through the problem we would meet safely and um incredible peers people i respect immensely um and we just had this series of conversations and coffees and um arguments and uh, chats and those people were an anchor as well um, so you found connection in peers that wasn't necessarily about work or making work um or complaining about the industry or anything like that it was was actually yeah. how we make a raft for each other as people um and so that kept me kept me alive very very genuinely kept me alive so, so some of the some of what you're talking about is is really powerful imagery mm. to to also help with some of the um the skills that we we've we've all developed um people will stop and tell you that um you know they really started to investigate some mindfulness some mm. meditation or just some visualizations a lot of people picked up their journals yeah. um, started to write it all down um, I actually love your voice messages I actually think that's beautiful it's very easy to get on and text yeah once you speak and you're delivering that message um, I had connected with um, um, a, a, a guy in New, in New York because of a, a particular type of software that he had produced. And um, so we're investigating um, the, the tool and, and how you do it. Um, and Itzy is um, Orthodox Jew in New York and his whole business just disappeared because he was into uh, um, uh, trade, trade fair booths, right? So huge. And, of course, you can imagine population in New York, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing just went and so it wasn't just him it was a huge community of 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 sellers wholesalers you know things like that but what happened was that they they actually were able to produce a software platform that people can actually use for online conferencing and uh, meetings it is brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and so over 2020 um, because I had access to a computer and have some skills in using the, some of the the uh, softwares. I was able to connect around the world as well for um, you know a whole lot of global leaders. Yeah. And so you know it it gave us it gave us a way to do to a way to connect, mm -hmm. even though it's not perfect. But it didn't totally isolate us. And yeah. I think it's been the big worry about AI and how we use technology and whether we're relying on it too much. But it's actually allowed us to to pop into each other's lounge rooms, mm. meet, meet the families, um, see see your little fella running by and saying, you know, hello, I'm here, what's your name? Um, all that sort of thing is is able to, you know, hap, uh, is yeah. able to be happening now. So there's been some, for me, there's been some pluses, mm. but of course it still doesn't replace what that craft is or that that longing that you have to do what you are really passionate about. We've got to find another way to do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's been the trick, I think, is also, and I'm still in the middle of this process, is also kind of going, okay, well, if I can't do that or I can't do that as easily, um, rather than feeling like a failure or, or those things that you do naturally go through where you, you, your brain, um, my inner critic is particularly well-developed and um, I'm sure like, <laughs> like a lot of people. And in a weird way, that makes me good at my job because I'm able to look at things critically and, um, yeah. you know, uh in that sort of way but um yeah it was able to sort of quieten that voice down um 
and to think about, okay, well, what do I do? What skills do I actually have? And what do I actually, I think as you and I were talking about, do I love the theater or do I love connecting with people? Do I love story, you know, something more generic like storytelling or you know, what is it about each of the things that I'm um, in love with um, and, and enjoy and get, and get nourishment from? Um, what might they look like in different forms or different, different ways? Sorry. Wonderful segue because I was just about to say to you, tell me, is there one thing about your work that you absolutely love? And I've heard you, I'm expecting you to say something, so I might be wrong. I might be wrong. <laughs> but you, ju you just sort of talked about it just a little bit there. So is there something that you really, really love that you can still do even though you may not have the um, public productions that you used to have? Uh, they will probably come back um, to, to in some type of hybrid model perhaps, I don't know, depending on how the pandemic or whatever else happens to us. But is there something about your work that is the piece de resistance? Is It's the actual yeah, thing that yeah. you love to do. Yeah, I, I love to build worlds. Um, I love to build places for people to inhabit, to, to experience. And uh, I started out as an actor and a writer and, and moved into directing. And actually what's been really interesting is I've, I've gotten um, back into writing in a really significant way and for screen. So I, I'm, I've got a television pilot in development and I'm working with my partner who's a screenwriter on some projects. And that has been um, not an unintended consequence. It's not an undeliberate choice, but it, that's been really um, beautiful and um, interesting for me to go, okay, what do I actually do? Uh, it's really easy in writing a bio or a CV and you tend to, or I tend to sort of have in the past list of things, you know, I did this and I yes. made this and I did that here. And lately I've started talking about myself more in terms of the stories I love or what sort of things I'm interested in or, you know, and, and trying to look at what connects all the work I've done. Um, and it, and it's, I think, at the moment, I think it's sort of stories about loss and, and grief and memory. Um, and so that's really mm. to suddenly see a string that goes through things that seem really disparate over 15 years worth of work as an artist, but actually go, oh, okay, that's, I can see that string through this thing now and I can see that string there and how can I keep them going or weave them together or, you know, to push the metaphor. But um, that, those strings have arrived in writing at the moment for me, which is something that's sort of pandemic proof in a sense um, and um, is still about building space for people to inhabit but maybe not having to having to direct it yet. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a, that's an insight. Pandemic um, proof. I really I think mm. there there are I think and that's what we're seeing people are being able to do. They're able to look at a situation and go right. If I do do it this way, it's not not all is lost. It may look different. Mm. It may, it may be that I, these are these are the skills that I've actually got here, yeah. and yeah. we can we can apply them. It's a bit like. I suspect it's a bit like rehearsals mm. where the story that you want to tell um, because it's written down in a play and then it's interpreted that has to be practised or rehearsed in a way. So I'd like to explore that notion of, your, of, my, of a rehearsal room and we can use it as a metaphor for ourselves. What's yeah. our rehearsal room around our thriving, our day-to-day -day thriving? Because basically we're born... And it's a lay down as there what's going to happen to us, right? Yeah, yeah there's right. no rehearsal. <laughs> you're, just, you're just on stage every day. <laughs> Look, everyone says, you know, you're on your L plates or your P plates or, you know, life's just one big journey and we're getting better. But there are parts of our life that I sometimes think are a rehearsal for the next challenges that we face yeah. or things and, that we totally won't often know that explicitly. I think that's really interesting. A lot of the time you're not. I'm certainly not necessarily conscious of the ways in which a lesson here will will realise itself later or, um, mm. you know, sometimes there are just things that happen that are terrible. But, yeah, absolutely, like you said, you don't quite know what you're in rehearsal for, but if you can be conscious of um, what rehearsals give you or what the space might be, I think it can be really um, animating, you know. What, what I love about rehearsals is we go down wrong paths. We, we go down strange tangents. We... We meander, we stop and start, we, we backtrack. Um, one of my favourite phrases is saying, oh, that was a terrible, that was terrible directing. I'm really sorry, everyone. 
you know, um, because I need to go down that bit to discover something else. You know, it's not just about me um, showing everyone else where to go because I haven't been there. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just as a, I use the metaphor a lot of like, I'm just the person who's had the map the longest, you know, and eventually I can keep saying, no, no, the map says this, the map says this, but everyone else has gone to that place and said, look, that's not what is there. So I can, I've got a choice. I can keep kind of trying to say, no, 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 this is what the plan is. And this is what my, you know, the vision was four weeks ago. But the reality is, well, how's it changed and how are you responding to what, um, the people who are now becoming as expert as you are are saying to you, um, how do you make room for that? Um, and then re that's that's why we rehearse. We rehearse because you can't, you know, your first instinct isn't necessarily the strongest or we have to work out how to make that instinct repeatable and safe. You know, we're talking a lot about <sighs> personal trauma, about personal connection. A lot of our work in the theatre at the moment is saying how can we ask people to come six or seven shows a week potentially go through things that are really um, traumatic or, or mm. complex and how are we caring for them? We mm. we don't even have a word for what the period after rehearsals is. We, we don't have a word for what that process is, but that's just as important stage as pre-production or tech week or opening night. But we don't know, we don't really have a language about, well, what happens to all these people after you've made this family and asked them to do this? They sort of scatter into the wind and what are... Uh, what are my responsibilities? Um, how can we look after people better? Um, that certainly is another thing for that in theatre. Well, it's it's like a transition of care, isn't mm -hmm. it? When you and you 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 you're just gradually letting go. Yeah. Of, of the situation, the family, the experience, and that's the intensity. That's I think that's why, um, you know, a really intense experiences really. That they make that make their way into our hearts, yeah. um, and so that's why they're so precious. That's why they often we don't want to let them go because we feel a sense of belonging there, yeah. Um, yeah. and then we will grieve what we've lost. Yeah, there's often comfort in sitting in the, you know, yeah. the familiarity of grief. You know, the familiarity of um, victimhood, or or you know, um, you know, I'm a cancer survivor, as, as you know, and for for. If, for years, I think uh, that felt like one of the only stories that I could tell. Um, and then kind of going, well, no, you are your own stories. You get to decide what stories you tell and what baggage you bring. And um, there are a bunch of so many things you can't control, but you can actually consciously shape and be aware of the story you're telling about yourself um, to other people. And um, yeah. that's really exciting. It's empowering to realise, like, you know, what's the story you can tell? Yeah, and often um, the right place, the right conditions, the right trust, and people will share more of their vulnerability than you ever expect. Absolutely. And when you, when I think about um, the arena that you work in, um, it is about vulnerability. It is about human emotion. It's about human story. It's about the human condition and the way we we behave and we react, um, and then then what the consequences are. For ourselves and then for others in a lot of cases mm. um, quite powerful isn't it very yeah, powerful and, and that's not even the right word for it john so well i think you know you're absolutely right it's also a chance to you know rehearse like to explore what ifs these possibilities yeah. that, that to safely go because i think it can feel like you know how much time do you give yourself to make decisions how much forgiveness and leeway how much air do you make in whatever process you're involved in is that making a, a difficult decision is that a relationship is that you know um and one of the things for me as a director i get to do is play with time how do i arrange time for people so that they are ready for what's happening at what moment when do we speed up when do we slow down when do we finish you know one of the best things i ever learned about a director was was a director was that you can finish early you don't have to wait till <laughs> five o'clock. You can kind of go, you know, we did great work today, guys. It's four o'clock. I'm tired. Let's go. And that moment was like another revelation for me. You kind of feel like you have to you have to use the time. But it's like, okay, we're not ready to start this next bit. Or this is, you know, we uh, acknowledging your own personal, um, I think as a leader especially, one of the things I've done more and more over the years as a director is be really um, 
honest with people, you know, to say, oh, hey, I'm just, I'm having a rough day. I'm tired. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit of doubt today. I, I really don't know if this is working. And obviously you find appropriate places for those conversations to happen. Yeah. You're not necessarily freaking everyone out, but I make sure I have some valves, be that a personal friend or someone, the people in the creative team, people that I have like, go to and go, does this suck? Am I going mad? Um, <laughs> And those people are the best because you can you can really feel like everyone looks at you, and, and who do you have to look to? Who, who do you have to, look to? Yeah. yeah. Who, who, and there's a reason why therapists have therapists, and you know we have mentors, and we have we have peers and colleagues, and um, supervisors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're there for a real purpose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What you've been talking about, or uh, are many many traits of what you know Deloitte's. Forbes, McKinsey, we'll all be talking about the type of leaders that we we are needing now for for a future that's quite uncertain. Um, And so when you talk about giving time, making sure that people feel safe, that that you're actually honest with them, there's appropriateness around that as well, that you you can work out the time. You're quite strategic in how you do it. How, um, you know, you repeat you repeat what you know is working and you are prepared to fail because you know some failures or some hiccups are where the, the deep learning is. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's so I'm going to say to you, if, if you were a drama teacher, right, um, whether it was a little tot, you know, four-year-old, one of my grandsons just done some drama lessons and he, he just loved, loves it. He loves dressing up. He's, he's, he's create, his creativeness is amazing. As, I, as most of them are at four, right? Um, <laughs> but all the way all the way through to adults who really want to get in or try some some drama or theatre. If you were to give some advice to the teachers of, of these young people and adults, what would be a couple of things that you would share with them? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because I do work a lot in almost all artists in Australia work in some education capacity. You know, is that workshops or teaching? with teachers um i take i actually tell them some of the same things we've talked about i I talk a lot about i don't know um the the power of kind of saying let's find out together um and i i think for me the the teachers that illuminated drama remembered that it was live that it wasn't a literary art form you know it's not meant to be enjoyed yes chronologically you know and, and that often so an extraordinary proportion of actors are dyslexic, um, which I, I find just fascinating that that a group of people who read things for a living and often read things with no notice, cold, um, you know, one of they have a there's a challenge in their life around around that, um, and so I think remembering that these are plays that they were written by someone to be lived in and lived um, is one of those profound things that can get it out of a kind of English literature. Um, kind of realm and make you look afraid of it you know that it isn't we never talk about what's the theme of the play as theater makers um but but drama and theater studies can be slightly divorced sometimes from our industry in a way that uh, i don't think other subjects often are that's just my kind of perception of it um and my big thing would be to say don't be afraid to encourage people to do it as a living it's not a hobby you know what i mean it can be a profound and moving and successful um and really kind of annoying um, career, <laughs> career to do. Um, but the more I, I learn from every teacher I meet too, because I think it's just, directors are also, I'm sure teachers are the same. I'm, we're thieves, we're filthy thieves. I will steal bits of yes. games, workshops, phrases, um, you know, kind of a magpie of, of stuff, whatever we work. And so each time I get to go and, go somewhere and play a drama game with someone, I'll go, oh, that's great. I'm going to steal that the next time I'm, uh, and I'm passing on things that I've stolen from, borrowed from other people. And, um, that's, I, I think also don't be afraid to say that, you know, because very often it can seem, we, we spend a lot of our time in life pretending we didn't rehearse and we didn't muck up and we didn't go down yeah. paths because we're sort of told to, to feel that life is, has to be linear and kind of relentless and we will climb, you know, it's a, it's a, a ladder rather than a smokes and ladders kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I certainly um, am still grappling with the idea that my career isn't this neat linear progression from success to success. That um, 
I have in in looking for the things I think I should be doing, I'm I lose track of what's actually happening, and mm. I don't enjoy what I'm actually doing um, because I'm on to mentally kind of going, well, that's done. That's that's you know. Um, so maybe that's about getting older or being more mindful of process in it. You know, um, I like that. I, I like the notion of living in it. I really think that's um, because often what you're talking about here is life and, you know, what's what's expected of you or what you think is expected of you um, is often the blocker, is yeah. often the blocker. And, yeah, there's, you know, you turn around and somebody says to you, if this was the last day of your life, how are you going to spend it? Or what are people going to be saying about you when you're, when you're not here anymore? It, it really is, um, it, it stops you. Yeah. And you go, well, okay, what is it? What is it that I need to just to toss right out because it's totally useless? What is it I can sharpen up? What have I become really good at? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and how can I still laugh at myself? I think <laughs> in all this we've still got to have a sense of humour. Yeah, otherwise you get mad. You generally get mad, I think. I know. Especially this last year, you know, we, we've, we had a little WhatsApp group that just sent in, inane memes to each other and, you know, it was called the Day Drinkers Gang because we were all just... Parents and multiple children sat at home going mad, going, well, at least we all just have a virtual glass of wine and, you know, have a laugh about what's going on. So I want to ask you, um, in um, uh, Anne Washburton's Mr Burns that you, um, there were two, two productions of that, two seasons? Yeah, two seasons, yeah. Are you, we were talking about this earlier. Um, there were three acts and they were quite different. And I think it really relates well to this notion of thriving, but also the, also the notion of perhaps we've got a rehearsal room yeah. and, and how, so just give us a bit of a, a, um, a snapshot of what um, Mr Burns was really about. Yeah, this was a brilliant play by an American writer called Anne Washburn who, who wrote it. She said some, that she wrote it in response to 9-11, um, but I suppose that, that more is energetically rather than sort of directly. And the play takes place, the first act is set uh, within, say, 24 months from a massive um, nuclear disaster in the United States. And a group of survivors have gathered together. No one really knows exactly what happened because, of course, there's no news anymore, there's no, no media, and they find comfort in trying to remember snatches of pop culture. Um, if you think about could I remember the whole verse and chorus to my favourite song or could I remember my favourite episode of, you know, whatever it is, and Anne alighted on The Simpsons. And so this group of people are trying to remember an episode of The Simpsons, which is, of course, itself is a riff on a bunch of other pop culture things. And they find comfort in this. Every time they can remember a, a snatch of line or a moment in the show, it's, it holds the dark back a little bit for this group of people. And then the second act takes those same people seven years in the future and they've formed a theatre troupe that performs recreations of television, including even ads. Um, and so people are trading money or, you know, not money, but like chicken or batteries or something to go and see these shows to try and remember what life was and recollect stories. And um, accuracy becomes the currency. You have, to, you have to get the episode really right. So there's other theatre troupes doing Seinfeld or doing Cheers or um, whatever it is. And that group of people she completely leaves behind. By the third act, it's 75 years later. No one is alive in this act that was alive then. No one in the third act has ever seen The Simpsons. And The Simpsons has become this kind of um, liturgical morality play, an almost um, biblical story of a heroic Bart sacrificing himself against the evil Mr Burns and Homer becomes the noble father. And So we know that these tropes have become kind of warped, but for these people it's a foundational story of their new world and how they survived trauma and how they built something out of the ashes. And so it was, for a theatre maker, for a storyteller, it was incredibly powerful as a show to think um, that story might survive. What happens to the stories that we tell? What happens to our stories and who we are and what our values are? And, and also how did they shift and morph and shuffle according to what we need them to do? You know, our stories, we don't... We are not told by our stories. We tell them, you know. So you could tell Red Riding Hood as a cautionary tale about not wandering off the path or you could tell it as a cautionary tale about a young girl 
fraternizing, um, you know, sexually inappropriate rules. Or, you know, we can point folk tales at what we need them to do at the time. And so yeah. it's really amazing as a, as a show. And I should also add the third act is a musical, essentially. It's all sung through, which is just insane. Um, so it's this epic, bold, um, ambitious work that I could decide to be afraid of or to kind of rise to meet. And um, I felt in safe hand in Anne's work. Um, and, and that was really, that really helped me kind of meet the, meet the provocation of that work um, and try and rise to it, you know. Oh, I love that, yeah. Yeah, uh, fascinating, yeah. yeah. Beautiful work and, and full of mourning and loss as well and sadness and joy and um, there's at one stage there's a pop medley that starts with Who Let the Dogs Out and finishes with... Um, Britney Spears is top. So, you know, some of the things you hope people forget in the apocalypse have survived into, into that time, um, you know. And what a play to do just before America falls apart and before the pandemic. And, you know, we, we said to a lot of the cast, we still talk and say the play taught us so much. We were so lucky to have done that story and done it together. Um, yeah, it was a really good round. You've just given me goosebumps because I was thinking exactly the same thing. I thought, fancy having the conversation around what happened last year in your work with with a piece of work um, like that, what that um, that Anne Washburn is saying is a response to what happened for 9-11, um, but in the midst of the disruption that we we're all facing yeah. and still continue to face, um, and will will face to some um, to some extent. We're not quite yeah. sure what's going to happen, but some. What's important? What do you what if you had to, you know, as you said, if you had to pack up in ten minutes, what do you take? Um, and what do you take in your mind? What what do you sort of pack up in your uh, head? Um, yeah. And it really got me. I have a prepping kit now. I have a go bag at the front door because I got just a little bit worried about well, what happens if all this stuff does uh, fall apart, you know. that there's uh, It got me also thinking, I think, having directed now for four years with a child, just a young child, I stopped directing just for myself and I started to go, well, who am I making work for and what, what, what am I leaving for my son? What sort of work do I want him to, what sort of culture do I want him to be in? What sort of community do I want him to be in? Um, yeah. And that... It's shifted, it's shifted things in a really interesting way for me because mm. I think it can be quite singular being an artist. I'm not, I don't think selfish at all, uh, but I think quite singular. Um, and then there's this moment where you go, oh, I, I, I wanted to make my passion my living and I've done that and I'm really lucky, but now my, what do I do my living for? What, what does that all do? What experiences or lessons it allow me to provide or things to leave? And so... I'm sure it's a really familiar question to anyone who, you know, who cares for people. Oh. What are you leaving? What are you passing on? And, John, I don't think it's just for people who are caring for others. I think actually that's a question that many, many people thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from people that I know around the world, um, situations are very, very different in other countries compared to, to, um, to Australia. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've had a great conversation with you tonight, I've got to tell you. We usually leave, um, you know, with some little call to action for our listeners. Um, mm-hmm. The point, I've written down so much here. So I've got my, my trusty pad and um, I'm just thinking about um, don't be afraid, arise to meet. I think that's my, that's, that's my choice tonight mm-hmm. um, and it's around... Um, Leading wherever we are, we we have a role as educators. Whether it's ourselves, whether it's in our family, in our friendship groups, in in the groups that we belong to, that are connections through connections. Whether it's work, hobbies, um, interests, whatever whatever it is, um, charities, whatever it is that we do. Um, but that notion of connecting with some purpose, but not being afraid to arise to meet whatever comes really goes quite nicely with this notion of thriving, Yeah, um, that our thriving matters no matter what it is that we do. And I think that what the listeners have uh, just heard us talk about, uh, you, uh, sorry, is your incredible skill set, um, is um, perhaps a similarity 
between what you do and how we educate. And I think that's a really strong uh, a strong link there. Um, so there's much that we can learn from the acting, from the doing and the living of, of what it is that somebody else has created, the stories that we've create, created. So <laughs> is there something you'd like to, um, a little, little bit of wisdom you'd like to leave us with or something that you've been pondering that you think might be? I mean, you've, you've actually now moved to saying, this is not just about me, it's actually about my little bloke. Um, and I will often say, this is not about me because I'm going to be long gone. It'll be about how we all sort of put a small step forward. Yeah. And move forward together. I think the big grapple for me is as a, you know, privileged, able-bodied, cisgendered um, person is is to know when I'm, when my presence is needed and when it's not and to know when I can make space for people and, um and share skills and so moving into maybe doing some more coaching or some more work like this connecting with people um i'm really interested in you know how i can work to make myself less prominent um you know still <laughs> satisfied and still fed and housed but um yeah what yeah. is it to decenter yourself um just like we talked about a teacher doing or, or a leader or, or, or a director doing you know what is it that i can do to help uh people um, move up, move beyond, move past. Um, and John, if anyone would like to know more about your work, where, where's the best place to contact you? Yeah, um, my website is www.johnkachoyan.com. It's K-A-C-H-O-Y-A-N. And um, there's uh, there's heaps of things about me on there, all written by, by me, of course, embarrassingly. Um, but, yeah, find me there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm around. Uh, LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, all of those socials. And look, I, I just want to thank you. I've had a, I had a great conversation. Yeah, so thoroughly enjoyed um, this, this just this, you know, my rehearsal room. I fit so well. Um, and I've just, I had a vision of um, the Thames and, and the, the hub, the globe, the globe. Um, by the side thinking, you know, all those, you know, that theatre in the round and the, the history that comes through with with drama and theatre um, yeah. is, is just an amazing legacy. And, and you're going to be, you're part of that for for the next generations. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you for so being part of the conversation tonight. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. And listeners, if you'd like to know a little bit more about what I do, um, I can easily be found, carriebenedette.com. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn, all socials. You'll also find um, a brand new initiative that's come straight out of COVID, Global Leaders Thrive, and I'm very pleased to have invited John Kuchoin into our first session for 2021 this year. So go gently. You're, you are precious. Your thriving does matter. So make sure you get a cuddle tonight um, or tell someone you love them. See you next week, everybody, Wednesday night for Thriving Conversations. Thanks again, John. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. 